You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on this busy Thursday, June 13th, where I don't even know how and what and when to start from. Usually I kind of scan the landscape a couple minutes before the show just to catch my breath, see what's the most important thing to give over to you guys, because frankly, when you have a broken conservative movement where nobody focuses on what's important, there is just too much to talk about. And I was really thrown a curveball this morning. I was going to talk about some of what was going on in Congress and Chip Roy. I still hope to get to that. But there's stuff heating up at our border that I think is so important. You're not going to hear any of this anywhere else. And I know that's why you guys tune in every day. That's why you need to subscribe. You need to give this over to all your friends and relatives. This is vital information, particularly the stuff we're doing now on the border. Really, it really does traverse political lines. If you're just an American beyond any, any label and you just care about good triumphing over evil and and how we're empowering the worst human beings in these cartels with what we're doing um it is it is just out of control and just between trying to get the articles out while our copy editor is still in before I put up the show having time to do the show having time to research get on the phone with my sources, do on-the-record, off-the-record interviews, try to also in the background, you know, take the information I have and get it to the right people, do the right thing, bring the outside in, the inside out. It's tough. There really hasn't been a minute in the day, but I wanted to make sure we got today's show in on time, hopefully. Um, one of the things I, I mentioned yesterday, one of the things I mentioned was that there was this story out of Dallas and it wound up being put up on Drudge of how an American family woke up one morning and an illegal alien was buck naked in their house, told them to shut up or I'll kill them. Um, and, and the guy was brave enough and, and fought back and, and held him down until the police came. And I was saying that this is really emblematic of what we are Americans, you know, someone buck naked coming in our home and one of our listeners, uh, Rick, aptly uh, sent, sent me an email and said, I disagree slightly with your comparison of the story about the Dallas couple. Uh, he said, while we are looking for our Trent Tate, that was the protagonist, the man of the house who beat down the illegal attacker. Um, but he said, while we are looking for our Trent Tate, what is actually happening is that by the time it is all said and done by our government. The naked man is living in our apartment, wearing our clothes, and we are out on the street buck naked. <laughs> and, I mean, that, that's really a good way of, um, you, you know, describing our metaphor for stolen sovereignty, being strangers in our own land. Folks, you, you, if you can't cry or you don't want to cry, you just got to laugh. 
So you're not going to hear this anywhere else, but there was a cartel attack at the Arizona border in Cochise County, Arizona. This happened on Tuesday. It was started Monday into Tuesday, a little bit Wednesday. There was a flare-up just on the other side of Douglas and Naco, Arizona. That's in Cochise County, the Far East County. And all these cities have parallel sister cities on the Mexico side because the streets and infrastructure run through. It's true in Texas. It's true in Arizona. So you have Naco, Arizona butting up against Naco, Mexico. And then you have Douglas, Arizona um, butting up against Agua Prieta. And in Agua Prieta and Naco, there was a shootout. About 10 people were killed, cartel on cartel violence. And I, I interviewed Sheriff Mark Daniels. This will be in an article, but you guys will be the first to hear this. Now, some local media picked this up. No national media did. But this happened, the sheriff tells me, and, and, and this was not reported anywhere else, a half a block away from our border. Okay, so and and you could hear the gunshots. There's actually a video of it. I'm going to post in the in the article. Now, to begin with, five individuals were taken to the hospital: three adults, two children in Douglas and in Tucson. So, just to begin with, again, we're you know responsible. Our hospitals get the cartel warfare. Okay, I mean, I guess that's to be expected. Um, but the big story is four cartel members went to the Douglas point of entry and said they have a credible fear and requested asylum. You see, folks, you know, I've been driving home two narratives relentlessly. One is the president's responsibility and authority to do an 1182F shutoff of all migration. And number two, the need to designate the cartels as terrorists, treat them as terrorists, orient our military intel and coordinate DHS, state and DOD and, and state and local law enforcement all with that mindset that it's a war footing. So both you have immigration law covered, but you also have national security law that this is not an immigration issue. It's a national security military style issue that you have cartels that are terrorists working with Middle Eastern terrorists, by the way, too, but that's neither here nor there. They're terrorists in their own right, and they are using the migration as their weapon to get in their stuff, and how even if the immigration laws would say what the political class thinks they say and what the judges think they say, this would override that once you view this as a military issue. It's now worse than that. right? Again, I was, I was telling you, imagine if we had terrorists flowing hundreds of thousands of migrants, would we treat that as asylum or warfare? I have my article out today, the picture, you could see the picture of this spy drone my source sent to me that, that crashed in uh, Laguia, Texas, right across the river. A spy craft with the lights taped up with electrical tape so we, you couldn't see it flying at night. That's an invasion. That's not immigration, right? I'm here to tell you, you can't make this stuff up. I, I undersold the case to you guys. It's not just that we're treating the cartels 
strategic weaponry as asylees. We are now granting asylum to cartel members. So you have cartel and cartel violence, and the losing side comes here and requests asylum. Now, I've long told you that in Texas, where you have inter-cartel, inter meaning they're very much CDN versus Gulf or sometimes uh, Cartel Jalisco, New Generation, versus Zetas and, and CDN or Gulf, the losing side of a gun battle comes over the border. They come over the border, usually clandestinely. They come over because they'll be killed there. So we are now the refuge. I mean, talk about the inmates running the asylum. We're the refuge for the worst persecutors in, 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 in the entire world. <laughs> but so, so that was happening for a while. And, and by the way, Border Patrol is told to stand down. They have to get out of the way when they hear gunshots. Even though you know that when you hear gunshots, that's the time you're going to start seeing cartel members coming north. And that's when we need, if not Border Patrol, then at least the military. But none of them will act. Texas DPS is the only ones, but now they're being told to stand down because they don't even have resources. Sometimes they'll send in BORTAC, which is the special operation unit of Border Patrol, but, but no, no one else could operate. But what the story in Arizona is telling us, I don't know yet if we granted them credible fear and what is the status of these four people. I have a request into USCIS, and I now know the director, Ken Cuccinelli. I'm, I'm going to give him hell. I'm going to tell him, you better shut this down immediately. But I will tell you, here's what I do know. The fact that cartel members know you could engage in violence and be on the losing side of the battle, and you even think you could openly come, not just get in clandestinely like they usually do, but openly come and request asylum, and you think you have a shot at it. That, that our people will be such Amelia Bedelia fools. Oh, well, they have a credible fear. But right, again, imagine you have, I mean, we talk about this all the time with Sunnis and Shias fighting in Iraq and we bring in an equal number of migrants from both because they say they're persecuted by the others. But really, the Shias are related to the Iranian uh, militias, the um, IRGC-backed militias commanded by Soleimani. And the Sunni guys are with ISIS or Al-Qaeda in Iraq or whatever. But each one could legitimately say they fear the other one. And we will be the dumping ground for the most evil, violent people on both sides of the border. I mean, this is a speech the president needs to give. He needs to be briefed on this. But anyway, what Sheriff Daniels told me is that – so typically we haven't seen this as much in Arizona and California because Sinaloa controls it lock, stock, and barrel. You don't have you know, the other areas in Texas where it's, it's, it's contested. You have La Linea. You have uh, CDNG. You have – um, the various factions of the Zetas and you have the Gulf Cartel. Here it's just Sinaloa. This is the Sonora province. You can look on a map right under Arizona, controlled by Sinaloa. But in this case, it was the plaza boss who controls the plaza leading into Douglas and Naco. He didn't trust his own team and he wiped them out. So it was an internal cleansing. Now, this is unofficial, but what he told me, again, on speaking unofficially, he doesn't have it confirmed, but what he has heard 
is that the the guy, the plaza boss, was a member of the Fox family. Folks, if you don't know what the Fox family is, Vincente Fox was the former president of Mexico in the early 2000s. This is the guy who goes on TV and and drops the F-bomb on Trump and says how Trump is so uh, inhumane and a terrible person. This man's entire family is working for Sinaloa. Okay? I mean, that's how pathetic this is. But again... This is the importance of designating the cartels as terrorists because then it's like Hezbollah and Al-Qaeda at our border. We wouldn't, I mean, we shouldn't even have to do this, but if we would do that, we wouldn't think twice about granting them asylum. It would free up more resources. The president can do this immediately. You know, my friends are all headed out to um, the conference in Kentucky of the National Sheriff's Association. And I told several of them, I said, I implore you, the Homeland Security officials who will be there, you got to instill upon the DHS officials and, and, the, and the White House people that the sheriffs are not going to put up with this. It's not enough just to say, oh, Congress is not acting. The president needs to act with all of the authority he has, and this is a biggie. But can you imagine that? Vincente Fox's family engaging in intracartel cleansing And the losing side comes here not just for hospitalization, but for asylum. You can't make this stuff up. The inmates running this, America has become a refuge for the persecutors. So that is what's happening on that end. But fear not. ICE wants you to know. I don't know who does their Twitter account, but ICE retweeted this article from a New Mexico local paper on how um, how amazing ICE is. Not because ICE is um, you know protecting us from criminals. But that ICE has transgender facilities. This is a seven-part tweet storm from ICE. Okay, I've never seen like a tweet that usually is like one or two. This is like seven of them. Yesterday, ICE provided an extensive media tour of the agency's dedicated housing unit for transgender women. In 2017, ICE opened a dedicated unit for transgender women in the Cibola County Correctional Center in New Mexico with common areas, televisions, microwaves, and a library and access to outdoor recreation. (laughs) Jeez. Cibola's medical and detention staff are trained in best practices for the care of transgender individuals. A dedicated custody resource coordinator ensures detainee access to care and services a uh, partnership with local transgender organizations provide peer support and other services. All transgender individuals detained in ICE detention facilities undergo an initial evaluation, including a physical exam and a mental health evaluation within two business days of intake for a general health assessment and to determine an appropriate treatment plan based on medical need. Further 
all individuals in, in ICE custody have the unrestricted opportunity to freely request healthcare services to include mental health and dental services provided by a physician or other qualified medical staff in a clinical setting. ICE is committed to upholding an immigration detention system that prioritizes the health, safety, and welfare of all those in our care and custody, including LGBTI individuals. So, hey, th- there's a new letter. A, B, C, D. I mean, I thought the big thing was the Q. Now there's an I. I don't know what that is, but okay. Um, the d- d- Decisions related to the location where individuals will be detained are made on a case-by-case basis considering several factors, including but not limited to transgender individuals' preference, the safety and well-being of the detainee, and their ties to the community. I mean, I mean, I okay, I'm at a loss of words here. I'm sorry. In general, ICE's leadership is, is, you know, better than the other agencies. And I get what they're trying to do here. Because the homosexual agenda is God in this media culture. And, you know, they get such bad press. They're trying to say, no, no, we're, we're amazing. But as I tweeted an ICE official today, I, I texted him. I said, look, I get it. But the only offense, the only the best defense is a relentless offense. By being all defensive and saying, oh, no, we're great treatment. You're not going to win anyone over. Go on offense and put out stories with people like me and tweet out in a seven-part tweet series about all the criminal aliens that you're dealing with, all the ICE detainers. List the numbers of of DUI manslaughter cases. Here's another thing I heard from ICE, which is more worthwhile for them to put out. There's 45,000 detention beds, yet they have 53,000 detention, um, the people in detention. But now they... More beds are taken off because they have to quarantine them off because of the mumps outbreaks. Yes, the mumps outbreaks that our government will not confirm are so evident that they lose detention beds off of it. And yet we have Republicans finally debating action on immigration, but the only action they're going to debate is a supplemental bill to fund more aid for illegals when when most of it is not going to go to ICE, but all of it needs to go to ICE, not HHS or CBP. It needs to be for detention and deportation. Why aren't they putting out that they're coming in with mumps from Honduras? Why aren't they exposing that? Why aren't they helping Americans saying, here are the dangers to Americans that we're concerned about, that we're helping? Instead, it's literally a parody that we're the refuge for transgenders and cartels. I mean, really? Really? But I'll tell you, folks, it's the same reason why CBP is so protective and they put out so much information on the health of the migrants. Oh, how we're helping them, but not on the danger of American to Americans. As much as I could blame them, I somewhat don't blame them because the problem is us. And I don't mean us, meaning this audience, because we're the only ones who aren't the problem. But 99% of the so-called conservative movement and media, the media and PR of CBP and ICE, and as a result, their policies reflect the biggest 
people in their faces and the biggest constituencies in their faces are the illegal groups, the left-wing media, and there's no conservative media blasting them and putting them on notice for the stuff that endangers Americans. If they did, they'd have to put this stuff out, but they don't. They just don't. This is the view you will not get anywhere else. But this is the stuff I'm going to relentlessly investigate, mix my policy and legal expertise on this with reporting. So A, this is what's going on, but B, what do we do about it? And then I'm going to use my, you know, just influence to try to get to as many people as I can. I'm not just here to say, wow, Daniel, that's a brilliant article. I wanted to make an impact, but I'm going to need your help. Look, until now I could speak the truth. Hopefully it will last. It's not easy to have this independence. It really isn't. Not at all. Everyone's got to eat. Everyone's got to eat. That's the bottom line. So um, we'll see what happens. But I thought you should know this. Man, just got uh, distracted there for a couple minutes. My wife came in and brought me a beer and a chocolate bar. So I'm going to do what I've never done before and drink alcohol middle of a show. Middle of the day, which I never do. Um, I'm not much of a drinker at all. Once in a while, I'll have a beer at night. But I, man, I, I just, it's just been such an intense couple days trying to get all this stuff out. And then, you know, look, I do know the leadership of ICE and USCIS now. By the way, amazing news. It was announced today that the deputy to Ken Cuccinelli is going to be John Zedrosny. He was Ted Cruz's immigration guy. Um, I'm sure you never heard of him. He was in the State Department. He is the reason why the refugee program was shut down. Now, obviously, what we have at our border is 100 million times larger than the refugee program. So his gains were all erased, but at least in his silo, he did what he can. He knows immigration law. He hates judicial supremacy. He's a close friend of mine. The last year when he was in government, we haven't spoken much. Hard to get a hold of him, but, you know, it's slowly getting there. But the more I look at this, the more I realize that it's not even the top level leadership. These organizations are so rotted to the core. They're terrified. The NGOs and the media in their face are all from the other end. It takes a movement. And this is why I'm so into the fact that you need other people doing what I'm doing. ICE has to feel like, holy hell, if I, I got to answer to these people, they're going to hit me. They don't feel that. They feel they need to answer to the pro-illegal, transgender, genital-cutting groups. And alphabet soup. So that's what they're going to cater to. See, what we have in America now is, with illegal alien supremacism, normally you would bend every law to avoid the outcome that we have today. As Scalia said in a, in a case I often cite on the release of 30,000 prisoners in California, you would bend every law to avoid that outcome. Instead, our government bends every law to get this outcome. Every claim that an illegal has, that a cartel member has, they indulge. 
but the safety of the American people doesn't matter. One of the things that struck me when I interviewed Sheriff Daniels today, and we'll have him back on the show, he said, look, I don't know what the heck the feds are doing, why they're not bringing the military here, why they're not going after the cartels, but I'm just going to do what I can. And, and our first duty is the citizens of Cochise County. That's what DHS needs to do. Their first order is to the American people. And again, with the diseases, it amazes me. It amazes me that they still will not put this stuff out. They'll, they'll do all sorts of media on transgender facilities, but won't tell the public what is going on um, with, uh, with any of this, with the cartels, with the drones. Of course, they didn't get back to me with the, my drone article. I did put in a request and say, ask if they could confirm it. I know it's true. I have a picture of it. I posted the picture of it. But of course, they didn't get back to me. It's funny. They're, I noticed they're only concerned about national security when it comes to conservative reporters trying to get the information. Like, I can understand. Like, look, you don't want to get it out. But you're going to be dealing with it. Operationally, you're going to be worried. No, operationally, they don't give a darn. They endanger our national security and then don't want it to come out. So so that's the story here. I'm just tweeting about this thing. <laughs> this ice tweet storm. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just got, got to get this out. But, but anyway, look, it's good news about some of the staffing changes. And it's frustrating to me because I see this stuff going on and immediately I email. I said, do you guys know what's happening? And you'd be surprised what people know and don't know. So, you know, I feel a responsibility to, to get this to people. So it's just, it's just been a really busy day and um, I'm kind of all over the place. My brain's all over the place. But before we go on, I want to get to what's going on in Congress but before we go on, just uh, I just want to read to you an email from Dr. Jane Orient. She uh, put out some sort of press release to Arizona Press. Her group is in Arizona. While public health officials are preoccupied with measles, hundreds of people are coming through our border from the war-torn Democratic Republic of Congo, where thousands have Ebola, notes physician for civil defense. In the entire U.S., there are about half a dozen hospital beds equipped for safe treatment of Ebola victims. We were very fortunate to escape a disastrous outbreak here during the epidemic in West Africa. There are two new vaccines that generate antibodies, but we don't know how protective they would be if you are one of the few who can get a dose. Then there's HIV and drug-resistant tuberculosis, both highly prevalent in Africa. It's funny, I forgot about that, HIV. All news outlets, public health officials, border patrol agents, and physicians should be demanding immediate answers to these questions. Number one, how are Congolese entrants being screened for Ebola, or are they? Are workers relying on checking for fever? A high percentage of Congolese Ebola victims do not have a fever. What precautions are being taken to protect workers? Double gloving? Mass and eye protection? incineration of medical waste, how long are entrants quarantined? The incubation period can be longer than 20 
one days? What if there is a needle stick injury? If a case of Ebola is suspected, what is being done to protect other migrants? How are entrants being tested for TB? The CDC expects the skin test added and antigen to be in short supply for up to 10 months. Are migrants tested for HIV? A negative skin test for TB is unreliable in HIV positive persons. Are chest x-rays taken? Who is in charge of the medical screening and what are the person's qualifications? Dispersing even a few persons with Ebola or drug-resistant TB across the U.S. would threaten thousands and overwhelm our public health resources and hospitals. I mean, these are questions that the entire Fox News, every elected Republican, every White House official should be asking of their own administration. But if I'm the only one asking it, they're going to feel more of a need to put out information on the treatment of migrants and the transgenders. That's just how it is. So that's what the health concerns. We're going to be following that in the coming days. And, and by the way, guess where the Congolese are winding up? Yesterday, there was an article in, um, I guess this is the Portland Press Herald, Portland, Maine. Asylum seekers from Africa describe difficult journeys to Maine. Joel Nudalayila doesn't know why a group of armed men stormed his hometown in the western region of the Congo five months ago, and he still doesn't know what became of his pregnant wife. All he knew is that he had to run. 32-year-old asylum seeker arrived in Portland on Sunday on a bus from San Antonio, which has sent more than 100 Angolan and Congolese migrants to Maine since May. Many are fleeing violence and political instability. Now, this might be true, but A, violence is not governmental persecution, and B, you do reach a point, like I said, where there's overriding factors, the cartels, the, the Ebola, the public charge. That's what I'm saying. You reach a point. This is the problem. They're looking at one part of immigration law in a vacuum at the expense of every other part and just the essence of our sovereignty. How about that? A hundred Angolan Congolese migrants in Maine. Do the people even know about this? See, this happens quietly, but they're being dumped everywhere. You know, we talked about San Antonio. I didn't know this until I saw this article today. But, um... They're being they're not staying in San Antonio. By the way, why is it that all these people living near the equator go to Maine and Minnesota? Just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have conjured up something like this. But anyway, we'll we'll link to that article in um in show notes. So what's Congress doing? Why is it that Chip Roy is the only man standing? Now, you had a couple others join him. Andy Biggs was a big one. You got Andy Harris, Scott Perry. I don't want to leave out. There's a handful. Basically, there's an appropriation bill where they have an open amendment process. They wanted to vote on 100 amendments. And they were going to dispense with them with what's called a, a voice vote. Because a roll call vote of 435 members of Congress takes a long time. Chip Roy recognized that 
you're not much of a vote when you're in the minority in the House, but what you are is a voice. Today with social media, you could draw attention to a lot of things. And what better way than to use parliamentarian procedures to gum up the works and block their stuff and say, wait a minute, you're voting on a defense spending bill and we have the biggest national security problems at our border. And nothing, nothing about the border. So what he did is he forced roll calls all night. And they were, I mean, you could imagine one man versus everyone, their fundraisers and their cocktail parties and their sleep schedule. And he just didn't care. Why is it that not many joined him? I mean, right now, the minority whip Scalise is finally on the floor and talking about the board. But even then, he's talking about the humanitarian crisis. Notice it's only okay to talk about the humanitarian crisis. And they don't mean the humanitarian crisis for Americans being dumped with MS-13, with criminals, with public charge, with cultural problems, with diseases. No, no, no. That doesn't matter. The cartels invading us. No, 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 that, that, that doesn't matter. 70,000 people dying from the drugs? No, no. It's all... Wh- wh- See, this is the problem, and it's the same thing with the ICE tweets. They think that you win by going on defense, by using their language, their parlance, their focus, their way of thinking about things. You're not going to convert anyone to that way of thinking. You, The best defense is an offense. How dare you endanger Americans to this? Talk about Americans. I don't know. Why is that a dirty word? Why is that like you're the government of the United States is not allowed to be about the United States. And to the extent you could even broach a topic that harms Americans, you have to only you have to speak it about it in a way that it's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's it's like the rape of the migrants. The They're being raped. And look, I get it. These are all cascading effects of when you harm Americans, you're harming them, too. And it should all be shut down. And if you shut it down. You won't have those problems. But the only focus on the needs or tragedies of the migrants, non-Americans. I, I'm just, it's not that it's not true. It's just, I'm I'm really offended by that. But it's unbelievable. You look at the lack of action. They're bragging about a year into this crisis, they finally have bills to fix the loopholes, which aren't even loopholes and aren't even broken. But I was just reminded of the fact because I remember it was around the July 4th recess, which is when I go on my vacation. I remember going on vacation then. I even talked about it on the show. Grassley had a pretty good staffer back then when Grassley was the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman. Now it's Lindsey Gramnesty. And he would, you know, there were, that, that was right when this started. And they were like, oh, you're prosecuting families. You can't do that. So the whole thing blew over and the administration just gave up. So the idea was to slam a bill on the floor to get rid of the Flores settlement. And say, look, we're going to hold fa- – you're right. We're not going to separate families. We're going to hold them together and deport them together. A year later, there's no florist bill, not even in committee. I just don't get it. Again, for all the reasons we've been speaking about, we don't need that anyway. The president could shut this off anyway. The president could assert that a district judge doesn't have jurisdiction of this. You, you know, if you were smart – he would announce 8%, only 8% of those caught at the border in May were in California. If he were smart, he would get up there and say, all right, so those coming to California, we, we will, won't hold for more than 20 days. 
You don't like it elsewhere? Sue me in, in a different district and circuit. But anyway, I mean, Chip was... Why is he the only man? And by the way, this was his anniversary. He spent his anniversary doing this. But I'm just telling you, if you look at CBP and ICE, they're only going to care about what people pressure them with. Trump is only going to care about what people pressure him with. And if there's one voice like mine and many more on the other side of this, the policies are going to reflect that. Another story I want to get on that is very, this really unsettles me. I find it extremely unsettling. The notion that we are out in the street buck naked while the other people are 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 in our house wearing our clothes as our listener aptly put it we spoke about this militia leader this border militia leader who was arrested on firearms charges that were trumped up that they they went after him where they won't prosecute anyone they won't pr- prosecute anyone doing anything at the border the cartels but anyone who wants to defend us when the go- government won't um, military veterans, many of them, they'll pro- prosecute them. This is guy Larry Mitchell Hop- Hopkins. Remember we noted something very unsettling about the treatment. He was put in a facility in Las Cruces, which is full of cartel gang members, beaten up, taken to the hospital, and then still wasn't granted bail. I mean, heck, we had a guy, we reported on this, um, was it San Jose or in that area, couple weeks ago was arrested for a DUI triple manslaughter wiped out a family in a trailer through drunk driving and he was let out on bail ICE had to actually get him they weren't informed that he was released they had to get him and yet this guy is denied bail but there's an update in the story we actually have more details from Anna um, Garatelli where is this Washington, Washington Examiner the three federal inmates suspected of attacking a militia leader in a New Mexico jail in April were in custody on immigration charges and had all been previously deported prior. According to a local report about federal documents that were released Wednesday, the documents show Roberto Gardea Limas, Silvano Gurolo Hernandez, and Martin Soto Ortega had each been previously deported from the United States and had been in custody at the Doña Ana County Detention Center in late April on varying federal charges, according to Las Cruz's son. Larry Mitchell Hopkins, a leader of the United Constitutional Patriots, was beaten while being held in a gen- general population area in the center April 22nd. 60-year-old who, who goes by Johnny Horton Jr. was indicted in April for being a felon in possession of firearms and ammunition in November 2017. Um... A video of the incident shows Hopkins being attacked while laying against a wall in an open area. Grello and there's a 43-year-old Mexican citizen who was arrested last November on a drug paraphernalia um, possession charge, released, then arrested by ICE in February. Soto Ortega is 22-year-old from Mexican who was arrested in March um, on marijuana charges. Gardia Limas was deported in 2005 and was arrested after being arrested. Uh, was in custody after being arrested at Border Patrol Interstate Checkpoint 
in Texas earlier this year. The three men are not facing charges in connection to the attack, but a detention center spokesperson named the three suspects as responsible for it. Because the suspects are federal inmates, federal authorities are the only ones who can submit criminal charges. Hopkins was transferred out of the facility. Okay. Folks, what are your thoughts on this? This is really disquieting. Everyone seems to be very into the conditions in prison. We're too harsh. We need prison reform. We need criminal justice reform. Somehow you have an American. I believe he was. Um, I believe he was. What do you call it? A uh, veteran, if I'm not mistaken. Really BS firearms charges disproportionate and we leave him in a facility where we know that will happen and this guy's beaten up by previously deported illegals again i don't care what your views are on the private militias whether they should be done or not i mean that that's that's not the point here the point is every law is broken on behalf of illegals and the cartels in mexico but every law is followed to the letter of the law and then some more as it relates to Americans that are out of favor with the political class that aren't one of the LGBTIQ groups. That is the sad truth here. It's just frustrating. I'm, I'm just one voice. I mean, that's all I can do. But... um. Anyway, Chip has succeeded in getting Republicans to focus a little bit more. Next week, McConnell's going to mark up a spending bill. Again, not policy changes, not core changes. Trump is not doing 1182F shutoff. He's not designating the cartels as terrorists. He's not arming the military and putting them in, in, in combat positions. He's not threatening to get rid of DACA. To this day, it's continued. All this stuff could be done. It's not a funding problem except for deportation funding, which is the one thing they won't fund. What this administration has done is rhetorically repeal our immigration laws. They've rhetorically repealed them by saying that we need new laws in order to have a border that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how criminal it is, no matter how much terrorists are involved in it, no matter the drugs and gangs and crime and public charge and diseases, there's nothing we can do. The law requires anyone who comes with a kid, and it's not even asylum anymore. Very few are even asking for it. Just anyone, anyone who comes with a kid gets released. Straight up lawlessness. I never dreamed in my worst nightmare of Hillary being president that this would happen. It was that the people who were here for a long time would get amnesty. But the notion that we would invite in what's going to be coming up on a million people under the worst circumstances, the most impoverished, the most problematic people often, orchestrated in the most strategic way by the cartels to bring in even worse people. We have cartel members requesting asylum. 
You know, I was reading McAleenan's testimony, acting DHS secretary. And this is the same testimony a couple days ago at the Senate Judiciary Committee, where he actually publicly admitted that they're not screening for contagious diseases. And, you know, he, he talks about his policy suggestions and his fixes. And I'm like, I'm reading it. I'm like, that's literally current law. I mean, I just don't get it. They're repealing the current law. See, this is very important because we're at a point in our politics where we have no ability to pass anything. It's a stalemate. So the status quo will reign supreme. But we have the laws in place. This administration is unanimously repealing the laws rhetorically. And therefore saying we need a new law, which they know will never happen, in order to follow the existing laws. It makes no sense. So he starts off saying the asylum gap. Approximately 80% of individuals pass the initial credible fear screening in the asylum provinces, yet only 10 to 15% are found to have a valid asylum claim. So, um, you know, he has his recommendations here. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, dude, dude, who's in charge of that? That's you. I get, he's complaining 80% are approved. That's USCIS, which is run by DHS. So he has a list of proposed changes, and he, and he says, I urge Congress to improve the credible fear of persecution standard to ensure that only aliens who are more likely than not to succeed on their asylum claim are promptly placed into immigration proceedings. I, I, the law gives the agent, the immigration officers all the discretion the standard is is set by dhs meaning the way he's talking you would think there was a standard like okay the law says that asylum is yada 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 only you know individualized you know persecution on account of uh race ethnicity religion uh political group but credible fear is anyone who says they're scared you have to put them in the process. It doesn't say that. It says it's all up to the, the discretion. And in fact, if you put them in expedited removal, I've said this before, the the CR, Congressional Research Service, Congress's own leg, uh, legislative research arm, says that the, de- the determination of the asylum officer is unreviewable. Unreviewable. You're back in expedited removal. Like, what, nothing we can do. They say I have a credible fear. Turn it down. That That is not statutorily set. It, again, this is the type of thing that you might want to write into the statute definitively the other way if you have a bad administration like Obama. But we never envisioned that you'd have a Trump administration doing this. Meaning it's just open-ended in both directions. It's up to their discretion. So if you want... If you, to, to abuse it, you could, but you don't have to. They're making it seems like it, it says like you have. No, you don't. And then and then look, look at this. I request that Congress improve the integrity of the asylum system by providing that those who are ineligible for asylum are not found and 
are, are not found to have a credible fear of removal, but instead placed into withholding of removal proceedings. So not only are they saying they have to deal with anyone who says they have a credible fear, but now they're saying even the ones that they go through and turn down, we need to find a way to remove them. <laughs> That's literally the law. Expedited removal. I, I just, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? I'm also asking Congress to support a process that would allow certain Central Americans to seek refugee status closer to home or in bordering country, thus obviating the need of these aliens to make the dangerous journey. Now, it doesn't specifically spell that out in the regular statutes, but you have 1182F where the president and 11... um, uh, I'm forgetting um, the section of code. I know the section of... uh, of the INA, it's 215A of the INA, that the president could either shut off or regulate, regulate the flow. You have to do it like this. Clinton did this with the Haitians and and opened up processes in their own home country to apply. That's the president's power. It's already there. Um, safe and prompt return of unaccompanied alien children. Congress should modify our legal framework to allow DHS to ensure the safe and prompt return of unaccompanied alien children so they can be safely and expeditiously returned home, regardless of their country of origin. I'm sure you've heard this a lot, that, oh, Mexicans we could return, but Central American kids we can't. It's not true. That's only if you're an unaccompanied alien. But unaccompanied is defined as here without relatives and a victim of a severe form of trafficking. They are self-trafficked by their relatives who are indeed here, and they're reunited with it, that Judge Hannon called that a criminal conspiracy and said that DHS officials should be prosecuted for doing it. I, every, everything we're seeding the high ground. At least litigate it. But no. I mean, what I'm saying is, it's not just that they're making the California judges king. They're, they're accepting premises on certain cases that haven't even come before the California judges yet. We desperately need to, uh, the authority to keep families together in detention during their immigration proceedings. In other words, he's talking about Flores. But as part of Flores, the Trump administration could get rid of it. Now, yeah, all things equal, it's easier if Congress does it because, you know, the courts will come back at you. But then again, the courts will come back even if Congress does it. But they didn't even try it yet. They had it written in September to vitiate Flores, and they haven't executed it yet. And then that would be a time when Trump should call his shot, prospectively lay down the marker and say this is unacceptable, lay out the reasons why they don't have jurisdiction, and that's it. Don't wait until they do it and then you have to react. Make them react to you. What's wrong with these people? They're retarded. They're utterly retarded. Ira, Ira, the 1996 immigration law. It does all this. I mean, a lot of this was even before, but certainly in 96. And then he doesn't mention all the tools they have that make these people inadmissible. He mentions, we don't screen them. Well, that's a problem. You're violating the law. Like, this is what I don't understand. 
They violate the law and they say they need new laws. But then we can't follow the laws. I mean, this is such a charade. Even my colleagues, even a lot of people, they're off message. Humanitarian crisis. We need to help the kids. We need Congress to change the laws. This is what has gotten us a year of this. I've been shouting about this. A year of this. It's not going to change if you keep doing that. So, so many people aren't even focused on this on the so-called right, and the ones that are, are way off message. So, um, man, man, am I fired up. So, um, man, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Um, oh, now, now, see, I, now, now I'm getting a note that PolitiFact is fact-checking me on the Ebola claims. Um, so gosh, this always breaks when I'm on the air. PolitiFact is fact-checking me. Are migrants with Ebola being dumped in San Antonio? No. First of all, okay, so again, I've written seven detailed articles on the health concerns that raise a lot of issues. We've So right away they go to Ebola. We've confirmed, so we have it ironclad that they can't deny tuberculosis, measles, mumps, a lot of other things. Ebola, I was very clear, I actually put in CBP at this point, they are claiming that there has not been a case. I'm not saying that we found the case. I'm saying the more we bring in, it is a looming threat and law requires that we need not gamble with the lives of Americans that if you have an Ebola outbreak somewhere, their people are inadmissible. I don't know if each one or any of them individually that came have Ebola. What I do know is that because they're coming from there, they're inadmissible without the requisite quarantine period. And they're not doing that. Very precise in my reporting. So, um, now they're piggybacking off of this conservative daily post, um, which is just garbage. I don't know. I mean, I'm not calling that website. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying this PolitiFact thing is garbage, but they're, they're all over the place here. Um, So, um, oh, here's what it is. They're accusing Miller. So my colleague, John Miller, by the way, you got to subscribe to his shows. Like he condenses a lot of my stuff into video and they're really, he's just a funny guy. So, um, they're tagging him. They're saying he used this conservative daily post when he didn't, he used the conservative review. So um, I hate to do this to you. I had a couple more things to to put out. I'm going to cut it a little bit short today. 
We have more going on, but I need to go and respond to this. Just, that's just how dynamic the days are. But again, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This is the truth. You're not going to get it elsewhere. We're going to work as hard as ever to give voice to the average American citizen that just doesn't have a voice in this government. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you all. 